Well, good morning, church. Uh, my name is Jacob Warren. I serve as one of the pastors here at Veritas, and today is a really exciting day in the life of our church because we are launching uh, the Rooted Campaign. And so uh, the Rooted Campaign is a six-month, $54,000 giving campaign uh, where we're going to be raising the funds to be able to get into our first permanent home as a church, 584 South Riley. Yeah, we can celebrate that. Certainly. So um, just on the front end, I want to make sure that you know that all of the needs that are going to go into this giving campaign are for like the literal things we need to get in the door. Uh, so just think 54 for to get in the door uh, kind of thing if, if you want to. I know that's kind of kitschy, but um, we're talking about uh, Veritas Kids classroom needs, office equipment, AVL needs, and maybe most importantly, chairs. Uh, do you know how much these chairs are that you're sitting in right now? Um, are actually are worth, they're worth their weight in actual gold. Um, uh, not really, but almost uh, like about 70 bucks a pop. And that's not even including like the nice ones with the seat backs on it or like something you can put a Bible on underneath. Like $70 for just a chair to sit on. And so um, we're raising this money because this is going to allow us to continue gathering together like this as a church for worship to be able to equip you as the saints to go about the work of ministry. Our desire is not just for dollars to come in that is raised among our peoples just so that we can have a, a nice building, but we want to see um, people sent out from our church body to serve the city and to, to serve and, and to be sent around the world as missionaries and church planners from our church that have been equipped among our people. So uh, what I want to ask you to do this morning is to, is to do three things. Uh, one, uh, just in, in regards to the Rooted Campaign, uh, the first and foremost thing we need you to do is pray. We need you to pray for the renovations to continue to go smoothly. Pray for the elders and staff to continue uh, to navigate the many things that we need to navigate in between now and getting into our first permanent home and in the transition that's going to come up. God, and pray for God's protection and provision and, and for church unity around all of this. The second thing I want to call you to is to just read this trifold. If you open it up, you can find all kinds of information in here. Um, we think it's a pretty good resource to equip you to know exactly what you're getting into with giving to this campaign. Um, but I want you to take it home and read it. And then finally, to prayerfully consider how God would lead you and your family to contribute. And I want to clarify something on the front end. If you're a guest with us here this morning or if you're new to Veritas Church, I'm, I'm not primarily talking to you this morning. I'm talking to the covenant partners here at Veritas Church, because if you're new, like we say, every single Sunday for new folks that come in through the door, we're, we're not after your money. This is not some kind of gotcha Sunday. You know, you showed up, you know, uh, trying to find a new church home, and we give you one of these, and now we've roped you into giving to something. No, I'm primarily talking to the covenant partners of our church to give to this campaign. And the way this campaign is going to work is after this uh, Sunday morning gathering. We're going to gather together as covenant partners tonight at four this afternoon. You're going to hear a little bit more about that campaign, and you're going to get a commitment card if you're a covenant partner here. And then we'll prayerfully consider how God leads us as families to give, and then we'll gather together on Sunday, September the 10th, during the Sunday morning gathering to bring our commitment cards together and announce to the congregation, to you guys, the, the total number that we as a church have committed to give, how much it might have already come at that time, and updates on where we're at with plans to move into our new church home. So over the next four months of preparing to go into our new church home, we're also dedicating time to preach through four strategic and more kind of topical sermons about areas that we believe are critical for us to consider before we move into our new church home. 
And those are as follows. Being rooted in truth and seeing how that means being rooted in the church, being rooted in the gospel, and we believe that makes us a more generous people, being rooted in the city, and that means that we must be a missional people and being rooted in generosity, making us a thankful people. So we'll pause from walking through Ephesians and kind of add this supplemental teaching in the Sunday morning gathering uh, through dedicating four sermons throughout the next four months around this uh, rooted series. And today we're going to tackle that first foundational area about being rooted in the truth. And I'm going to claim right now that being rooted in the truth means being rooted in the church. I know that might seem counterintuitive at first, but stick with me. Uh, let's talk about truth here for just a moment. So uh, we live at a time in history where it seems if we can all agree about one thing about, group, uh, about truth is that we all have our own version of it. You know, you talk about and have conversations with people and they say, well, that's just your truth. That's just the thing that you believe or I have my truth that's specific to me that's subjective. And again, like, where do we even start with a conversation about truth if some people are claiming that two plus two equals five? And all kinds of up, down, backwards, crazy claims about truth are being made all the time. But luckily, and fortunately, we don't need to, to appeal to, to scientists or philosophers or, or Lord help us, politicians, to have conversations about what the truth actually is. Thankfully, truth, according to the Bible, isn't primarily a thing, it's a person. Jesus claims in John chapter 14, when he's teaching his disciples, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Jesus is claiming that he himself is the truth. And that means that there's no other way to salvation except through Jesus. No other gods, no other religions, no things you could do, no, no, no good works you could kind of uh, do in and of yourself can earn you favor before a holy God. The only way to eternal life with God is through the truth, and that truth is Jesus himself. Jesus is the truth. Now, this word truth is near and dear to our heart as a church, and can anybody think about why this word truth might be near and dear to us in particular? Uh, maybe our name. Okay, does anybody know what veritas means in Latin? It means truth, right? <laughs> you could say truth, yeah. Uh, veritas means Latin in truth. So we as a true church, we better be the truth people. We've got to be the truth people. If we're going to be truth people, we have to be Jesus people because there is no truth without Jesus himself. And so we shall know the truth and the truth shall do what? Set us free. And that's because Jesus sets us free. So what does that have to do with being rooted in the church? And so I'm glad you've asked. You always ask the best questions, church. There's a familiar story in the Gospel of Matthew where many people were questioning the truth about who Jesus was. He was going around, he was teaching, he was healing. You know, there's all these miraculous stuff happening around this guy. And people are asking, who is this guy? Is he really the person who he's claiming to be, is this the son of God or not? Because people were questioning and saying, well, he's just a prophet. Or maybe he's one of the Old Testament kind of big deal guys come back from the dead. As weird as that sounds, yes, that was the rumor at, the day, at, the, uh, at that time. But when Jesus asked his disciples, well, who do you say that I am? Well, he's asking them for the truth about himself. Simon Peter, he, he pipes up and says this in uh, Matthew 16, verse 16. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, that means the Messiah, the son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, here Jesus links the truth about who he is, that he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the one who has come to save to being rooted in the church because being rooted in the church, that means he is the foundational cornerstone. The good news of the gospel is the bedrock of the church. And so if you want to be rooted in the truth about Jesus, you must be rooted in Jesus' church. Grab your Bibles and meet me in 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we'll be spending most of our time this morning uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. Um, if you grabbed one of those black hardback Bibles on the back table back there on the way in, please consider that our gift to you this morning. If you don't own a Bible, uh, we love the Bible here. We want to be the truth people, and this is where we find truth, right here in this book, nowhere else. Um, and so we want you to be a truth person as well. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. I'll read it out loud for us, but it'll also be up on the screen. The word of the Lord for us this morning. Paul says to Timothy, I hope to come to see you soon, but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness, the gospel, he was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Let's pray together for God's help. Jesus, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for the truth of your word, that it is, it is trustworthy and true. Um, God, uh, thank you for the letter uh, to uh, Timothy that we get to glean these truths from. And God, I pray that we would see... Um, what you have for us in your word, that your church is to be a, a pillar and buttress of the truth, to proclaim and protect the truth um, at all costs. And God, I pray that we as a church body uh, might, at the hearing of your word, respond appropriately um, as you would lead us this morning. Um, God, I pray that you would um, bring weak um, hearts that are coming in here after being battered all week refreshment with the good news of the gospel. God, I pray for those of us that are coming in here with pride or arrogance and thinking that our lives are uh, going very well and it's all up to us, um, God, that we would be made low um, and see um, what you have called us to, the humility um, of, of coming under your lordship, King Jesus, and our need for um, the church around us. God, I pray that for all of us that we would just leave here today more encouraged um, by the truth of the gospel and believing it um, with happy hearts. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So, in this letter of 1 Timothy, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy, his protege, uh, who is overseeing the church at Ephesus. So, this word in 1 Timothy accords really well because we're already walking through uh, the letter that uh, Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. In this part of the letter, Paul is emphasizing the importance of understanding uh, the, the fundamental nature of the church and the foundations of faith. And so in verses 14 and 15, uh, Paul is going to say that the church is, and uses this iconic language that may, many of us may have grown up hearing, that the church is a pillar and buttress 
of the truth. Don't you love a good buttress, you know? We always, we use that a lot in our vernacular nowadays, right? <laughs> Many of us may not know of what a buttress is, and I'll say what that is in just a moment. But what does that mean that the church is first to be a pillar of the truth? Well, what that means is that it, a pillar supports something. It upholds something. It holds it together and displays something. If you drove here and you had, maybe you went down All-American or you passed over a bridge at any point getting here, um, you passed over a bridge and underneath a bridge are these huge structural supports underneath it. Those pillars uphold the main point of what that thing is supposed to do is get cars across it and you across it safely, right? Those pillars support. They uphold. See, the mental picture that Paul wants us to have is like the church is this massive pillar that puts on display the truth of the gospel of Jesus. And so if you like alliteration, if some of you do, you you can say that the church is a pillar of the truth to proclaim the truth, a pillar to proclaim the truth of the gospel. But Paul also says that the church is more than just a pillar of truth. The church is a, the buttress. If you're looking at a, the NASB or the NIV or whatever other translation you might have in your lap right now or on your phone, uh, that, that word might be translated foundation or, or ground of the truth. But here's why the ESV actually, I think, gets it right with using the term buttress is because a buttress is an architectural support structure added to the exterior of a building to reinforce its walls and distribute structural loads. Now, I know it sounds like we're in a civil engineering class here for a second, but hold with me, I promise. Uh, there's, there's a good takeaway here, that the, the church is not only to display the truth, to put it on display like a big pillar holding it up and putting it on display, it's also to ensure the integrity of the truth. It's so that the truth doesn't get wobbly up there. As it's being proclaimed, is the truth with, with what's being proclaimed the actual truth? Is there flies in the ointment? One old commentary put being a buttress of the truth like this. The church is the ground of the truth. By it, the truth is made fast and firm and fixed. So a good way to sum all of this up is that the church is like a pillar to proclaim the gospel and like a buttress to protect the truth of the gospel. So uh, some of this might begin to sound a a little bit confusing, so maybe uh, this mental picture might help you. Imagine walking up to a a grand cathedral. Uh, If you've ever traveled or been to any big cities, uh, I know there's not too many of these in Fayetteville, these old historic cathedrals, but um, if you've been to a cathedral, you've probably seen the spires kind of pointed towards the heavens, the kind of awe that you get when you stand beside something that's absolutely massive. And as you walk up to the cathedral, you'll notice many of them are covered, like an entire wall, the exterior, in stained glass window. And as you begin to look at the intricacy of that stained glass window, you you can kind of see, man, this is telling me the the stories of the gospel. It's putting on display the beauty of of Christ and the story of the gospel, just the stories that the glass actually tells. Uh, And you kind of get lost in that for a second. There's some awe, there's some grandeur there. But many of us, when we're standing there looking at that stained glass, we're probably not thinking in the back of our head, man... I wonder how big those support columns are. I wonder how many tons those things could hold up. I wonder how much uh, that thing weighs, uh, how much time and effort and energy had to be put into the thought of making sure that entire wall of glass is actually supported properly so that it doesn't come tumbling down right on me. See, we don't, our minds don't go that direction, but I think this is a good picture of what the church is supposed to be. 
It's supporting, it's holding together and displaying the beauty of the gospel. But Paul tells us that the church is what it's supposed to do. And then quickly thereafter, he gives us a beautiful yet pocket-sized articulation of the gospel that we are to uphold in verse 16. Look at verse 16 again. Paul says, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of this godliness. That means the gospel itself. And then Paul says this, this little pocket-sized gospel. He, God, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. And even in me just reading that out loud there, did you pick up on some of like the rhythmic element of the way that this was uh, articulated? Even we're reading in English, it was originally written in Greek, but this is like a tiny hymn or a tiny creed that the church would read aloud in their gatherings. They would likely be familiar with these words that Paul was writing. They may have even sung these words in their gatherings together in worship. But what Paul says about these words in this kind of pocket-sized gospel, he says first that these things are true, but we can't help but marvel at the great mystery and grandeur of this gospel. The gospel that is being put on the display is mysterious. Ponder this with me for a moment. Look back at these words. How could infinite God condescend to become incarnate as finite man, being manifested in the flesh? How could the Son of God die a criminal's death and get back out of the grave, being vindicated by the Spirit of God, what are the odds that the angelic beings would herald Jesus' birth, declare his resurrection, attend his ascension, being seen by angels? How could it be that this good news would graft in the pagan Gentiles, that they would actually come to believe this good news and be grafted into the family of God, being believed on in the world? And how great now is the mystery that Jesus, the God-man, now sits at the right hand of God the Father, albeit with a human body, Jesus was taken up into glory. This is a great mystery. But don't miss out on that. those two words that he says after he says, great indeed. He uses a phrase that says, we confess. Literally in the Greek, that phrase means without controversy. These truths are grand. These truths are mysterious. But these truths are also without controversy. Like, we don't get to pick and choose which aspects of the gospel that we want to kind of have in it or not. No. What Paul is ensuring that through this passage is that to compromise on one of these truths of the gospel is to cease being a pillar, cease proclaiming the truth, because we've turned it into something else, and ceased being a, a buttress of the truth. We've, we've, we've not protected it. Again, back to my claim at the beginning, being rooted in the truth means being rooted in our identity as the church to proclaim the gospel and to protect the gospel. So, so far, we've talked about what the church is, what the truth is. We haven't really talked about, about what the church actually is. We've just talked a lot about what the church is to, to, do, to do. So let's ask ourselves the question, what is the church? Back to just 101, what is the church? It's not the obvious thing out of the way first. The church is not a building. The church is a people. We often refer to the structures that house building as churches, but they're not. Remember maybe back in, uh, you know, Sunday school, you got one of these right here? Anybody know what this is? This is the 
Here is it. Open it up. Terrible theology. Awful. You know, no. Like, this isn't the church, right? The church of the bride of Christ does not have a, a giant unicorn horn out of her. You know, that does, that's not the thing. This is a church meeting place. This is a place where the church might gather, right? This is the church. The people, they are the church. The building itself is not the church at all. So if the church isn't defined by a place, but defined by a people, we must ask ourselves, well, which people are we talking about here? Which people is the church? So good news again, Paul already told us which people are the church back in verse 15. Look back at verse 15. He says, if I delay, you may know how, how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. So again, the church isn't a house. The church isn't a meeting place. It's not literally a physical house, but it's the house of those, of, the, of those that God has called into his family. It's a household. It's a, the household of people that he's brought into his own family and bought by his own blood. In Ephesians, in a few weeks, we're going to see that Paul writes about this in that letter as well. Ephesians 2.19 will be up on the screen for just a moment. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are, as the church, fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by his Spirit. So we are meant to see ourselves if you are a follower of Jesus, you are a part of the universal church, the big C church, the church that we confess when we read the Apostles and Nicene Creed together. We are part of that church of all believers for all time. But then also, you as a follower of Jesus are called into membership in local churches where you are to unite together with the saints there to advance the gospel with those people. Even in, in Ephesians, it uses the word members of the household of God there. This is where we get our whole theology of why membership in the local church is so important. This is why we make a big deal of covenant partnership here at this church, because you, if you're a follower of Jesus, can confidently say, I'm a part of Jesus' church, but you can never say that all by yourself. You never claim that you are the church all by your lonesome. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. There's no such thing as a hypothetical follower of Jesus out there that isn't connected to Jesus' church. Lone Rangers are dead Rangers. They don't last. This is by the part of the truth of why we want to be rooted in the truth. We must be rooted in the church because that work of protecting the gospel, that work of proclaiming the gospel, is something that we can't do all by ourselves either. We can't do it. We'll flame out, we'll burn out, we'll give up, we'll whatever. See, just imagine trying to, the weight of trying to be the pillar and buttress of the truth all by yourself. Feeling the need to put the fullness of the gospel on display all by yourself. And that's a weighty job. And yet you can't do it. You need other people around you. You need support, you need encouragement, you need real accountability. We need other people to gently correct you when you're off. See, we weren't meant to bear the weight of being all things to all people all by ourselves. And you think back to the illustration of the cathedral, right? Could you imagine Jesus commissioning you, just individually you, 
as the church to go build, design, maintain that entire cathedral all by yourself. No, that would be unthinkable. That wouldn't even just be unthinkable. It would be unkind and unjust of God to call any one of us to just that work by ourselves. See, an essential to following Jesus is the confession that you can't save yourself, that you need Jesus to save you. In a similar way, in following Jesus, we also confess that we need each other as the church. We need each other to proclaim the truth of the gospel as we protect the gospel in this church as well. There's a pastor out in Nashville, Tennessee named Ray Ortland that uh, has this mantra that he and his people speak regularly over themselves and over each other. They lead meetings this way, and it might be shocking to you at first, and it goes like this. I'm a complete idiot, (laughs) but my future is incredibly bright because of Jesus. And the good news is that anyone can get in on this. And they repeat this mantra all the time to to remember that because of what Jesus has done and dying the death we deserve for sin, we can all admit that we're idiots. We, We blow it all the time. Like, we can actually be honest, be truthful about ourselves, that we don't have it all together, that we're, we aren't perfect all the time, that we, we don't have all the right answers about everything, but we know the one who does. We know the God who's come to save us from even our own selves, trying to make God in our own image and bow down to this other version of God that we, that's small enough for us to act, we think we can actually try to make him obey our wants and needs. That's another gospel. That's not the truth of this gospel that we proclaim about Jesus. We are sinners. We cannot save ourselves, but we know the Savior who can bring us into this bright future, this bright hope. And anyone could get in on this because 